was the podcast before Christmas, went all through the house, so video games was recording, much louder than a mouse. The stockings were hung by the microphones with care, in the hopes that Carlos Rodella soon would be there. Nowhere to be seen, he's out on special assignment, so Brad's doing this one solo in this cozy Christmas climate. And it's really hard to make stuff rhyme, so I'm going to stop right now. <laughs> hey folks, welcome to So Video Games, Lonely Christmas Edition. As you can tell, we are kicking things off a bit differently, not only because I've bastardized that classic poem, but also because Carlos is away this week, so it's a one-man show. That said, this is still the 368th episode of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we are playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today, we are recording on December 24th, 2023. It literally is the podcast before Christmas. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor and poet laureate of GameCritics.com, and we are going to get right to it so we can get you back out there before that eggnog gets warm. Uh, starting things off as we do, this is the section where I cover random bits and pieces relating to games or the games industry, directly or adjacent. That's right, it is housekeeping. Okay, so let's see here. What do we got on deck? MetaQuest 2 is what my son got for Christmas. Uh, I'm not the biggest believer in VR myself, but uh, his grandparents were feeling guilty and they wanted to get him something big this year. So they, they popped for that. And he was very excited to rip into that. Uh, we celebrate Christmas early this year just for funsies. I mean, why not? We're grownups. We can do what we want and we don't have to be slaves to the calendar. So we decided, fuck it. Let's open our stuff right now. So we did. So I had to get the MetaQuest set up before he used it. So like uh, yesterday, I popped it open after he was in bed. You know, you got to do the downloads and stuff. That's the thing you do when you're a parent. You, you got to get the equipment ready to go because there's nothing that's a bigger bummer than getting like a game or a console or something on Christmas Day. You open it up and the first thing you got to do is fucking update the thing. So I thought ahead. And I, you know, opened it up. I made sure the batteries were charged. I, I connected it to make sure it was working. I got the downloads ready to go. And this is the first time I've really had a headset on in a while. Um, like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of VR. I'm not really that excited by it. Um, you know, when they do the, the Star Trek holodeck or something, like when that's ready, let me know and I'll jump into that. But otherwise, not really my jam. But I will say the technology has really come a long way since the last time I tried it. Um, you know, I am old enough to remember a time before VR even existed. And I remember when the first headsets were getting rolled out at PAX, uh, game critics and myself got invited to some behind the scenes stuff. And we tried some of the early headsets. And in fact, uh, Palmer Lucky, the guy who created one of the, uh, the headsets, was it, I forget which one he did, but whatever. He was the, the guy who like was famous for like not wearing shoes or whatever. He was on the cover of all that stuff. He was actually doing the demo himself and I was there at the table with him and it was just he and I. And I think one of his PR officials who was trying to wrangle him. Um, and it was funny because he just like sat there and he looked kind of depressed and bored and he didn't really say much. So the PR guy kind of ran the whole thing. But we tried some of the VR. And at the time, it was hot garbage. I got nauseous like within five or ten minutes. And it was like a version of Doom, uh, old Doom that was running. And, you know, it was kind of neat and stuff. But like I was like, yeah, whatever. This isn't really that great. And since then, I've tried a couple headsets here and there. But nothing that has really convinced me. And I got to say, even though I do think the technology is way better with the MetaQuest 2, I mean, I was very like, ooh, this is pretty cool. Um, the games that we downloaded for him and we checked out real quick, you know, I got to do my parental supervision and stuff. Uh, we downloaded some stuff and 
it's it's fine like it's fine like i just i look at that stuff and none of it is stuff that i'm interested in like punching people using guns in a first person perspective where you're pretending to hold the gun uh running around and jumping and climbing with using your actual hands i mean cool if that's your thing great and i don't mean to like you know pour cold water all over it but i'm sitting here you know admiring the technology it looks a lot you know i don't know more sophisticated the the images are more convincing but also that i just don't think the content is there i have yet to see something that really convinced me that this is really the future of gaming you know i just don't think that it is and i i feel like at least for the time being at least at least for the next few years it's going to just be this side thing like i just don't see it replacing me playing consoles and those kind of like really meaty in-depth experiences that we have uh they're not there yet and so i'm not ready to throw my consoles out the window and jump into the vr full-time as if that's ever going to be a thing we'll see but anyway i do think it's pretty cool and i think the most interesting thing about the meta quest 2 was when i was setting up the uh the room scale which is where you you put the helmet on and then you have to like draw this invisible line around your room so that you don't go running off you know down the stairs or crash into your tv or something like that and there are little cameras on the front of the vr headset which i didn't realize at first and so you're looking at the VR, you're like, oh, this is cool, this is cool. And then like it kicks into uh, kind of like a, I don't know, predator vision or some kind of weird camera, like night vision mode where you see the room around you. And I was totally caught by surprise by that. I didn't realize that it was what it looked like. And I was like, oh my God, I can totally see like everything in the room, even though I've got this thing on my face. Uh, so that was actually the coolest part about it. I was very shocked by that. And the way that it looked was really weird and freaky. And I felt like I was in a sci-fi movie or something like that. But um, so... Regardless of my feelings on it, I uh, wrapped it back up, gave it to the son, and he was thrilled. I mean, he was super excited. He wants to go mess around with his friends in VR. They did some, and they had a good time, and he's been really excited about just, like, being in the game, and that's cool. So I definitely uh, am happy for him. I'm glad that the grandparents paid for it and not me. Um, and just to recap, for me personally, uh, not something that I'm super interested in, and even though I do think it's cooler and better and more advanced than it was, it's still not quite there for me. I will still take my consoles most of the time over those headsets in fact basically all the time so there you go the meta quest 2 that's really all i have to talk about this week it's kind of quiet since uh the holiday is right around the corner and uh, there's not a whole lot of news i think we're kind of in the the lull period where everybody is like finally stop scheduling meetings everybody finally realized no one wants to go anywhere or do anything so i think we're all kind of just settling in and i don't expect a lot of news until after the new year uh, so I guess that's fine and probably perfect timing since next week, episode 369, nice, is going to be the So Video Games Game of the Year 2023 wrap-up. So the very next episode after this one is going to be our big look back on 2023. We're going to be looking at all the games we played, the good, the bad, the ugly, high points, low points, uh, oddities, anything. And in addition to that, it's game uh, So Video Games uh, tradition that we always take uh, listener submissions and read those at the end of the show. It's always really fun because you get this like really diverse grab bag of perspectives and some people who think one thing is amazing uh, and think something's bad, they say that. And then the very next letter we read is like the exact opposite of that one. Or sometimes people give us games we've never heard of, or sometimes we'll get people tearing down the big AAA or sometimes hyping up a small indie. You never know. So I think those are really interesting. I always look forward to doing those. And I would strongly encourage everyone listening to the show if you have not sent in your nominations, this is your absolute last chance. There will be no chances after this. So if you are hearing the sound of my voice, please send us an email or a Twitter or 
blue sky is fine. Or I guess you can uh, leave a post on the website gamecritics.com. You can, I don't know. There's like, there's like nine different ways you can get a hold of us, but send us your top three games of 2023 and your one biggest letdown or biggest disappointment. Once again, we want to get your top three in order is best, but if you don't have an order, that's fine. But give me your top three games of 2023 and your one biggest disappointment. Tell us who you are. We'll read it on the show next week. And I think that's just really fun. We've got a lot of submissions already, but I would love to get yours. Also, heads up that we are a Patreon supported show now. This is a pretty recent change. Um, so I'm kind of making sure to go out of my way and mention it at the beginning of every episode so people know. Um, I want to, first off, I guess, thanks our new Patreon members. Uh, we had three new members this week. Grabloid, thank you. Arhey777, super fan and a personal friend. Thank you, sir, very much. And also Bill Fiskin. Thank you, Bill, very much. Really appreciate all the support. Every dollar counts. Um, so that's basically it for that. And, and before we go, I do want to say you can chip into Patreon if you would like. We're not going to force you. Nothing's going to be paywalled. We're not keeping anything back at all. If you don't want to support the show monetarily, or if you can't, I totally get that. And you will still get the same show every week. Nothing's behind a paywall. But if you want to, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the So Video Games podcast. Every little bit helps us with the cost of hosting, upgrading our equipment, picking up any games for the show if we're not able to get codes, so forth and so on. Uh, and if you do chip in at the $5 level, we will send you an invite to our members only Discord channel. Um, and there seems to be some confusion about that. Uh, I, you know, and honestly, up until recently, I would have been confused as well. So don't feel bad. But a number of people who have contributed in the last couple of weeks say, oh, no, thanks. I don't want the Discord because I don't I don't do voice chat or anything. And I guess is that what people use it for? Like, I don't know, because what I use Discord for and what I think we're trying to shoot for is just to have it be kind of an online chat, just like a little chat room where you pop in, you read the messages in the text version, maybe you respond to something and then you leave and you come back whenever you want to. Um, it's not like a live hangout. There's no live voice chat happening. We're not streaming anything. We're not like, you know, it's nothing um, high impact, high demand. It's really basically just a big chat room that you can drop in and drop out of at your leisure. So in case there's any confusion about that, um, there, there's nothing, there's no requirements, there's no time schedule, nothing like that. And if you think you'd like to just have a text chat with the people who listen to the show or the people who run the show, uh, that's what the Discord is being used for right now. So just heads up on that and to clarify that situation. So um, if you're interested, please come aboard. Otherwise, again, just want to restate that whether you contribute or not, we will never paywall the content of the show. You will always get all the shows, full shows, same great shows, free of charge every week because we love you. Okay, that is it for the opening preamble. I feel like I kind of stumblefucked my way through that because my rhythm is a little bit off being solo today, but I think I'm going to keep it and not re-record, and we are going to press on. Also, as per usual, uh, before we get to the games, I just want to apologize in advance. If you can hear my furnace running, we do, well, I do record in my basement and it's freezing down here. So we have the furnace running and it just kicked in. So if you're hearing some background noise, I apologize. There's nothing I can do. Otherwise, we are going to freeze to death and then the show will not be recorded. So I think it's probably better to have the show recorded and have the furnace running than vice versa. Anyway. Let's get to the games, folks. It's going to be, of course, a much shorter show because Carlos is not here with the games that he would bring, but I will do my best to carry on. The first game is Terra Nil. 
I'm playing this on Switch. I was provided a code from the publisher. Thank you very much, folks. Um, this is one that my son played on PC a while ago. I thought that maybe he had played it somewhere else, but once I had talked to him, he's like, no, it was PC. Uh, Dad was just misremembering, so not a surprise. That happens sometimes. And also, uh, John from Gaming in the Wild had mentioned this uh, when I recorded his pre-GOTY show that I guest appeared on. Go check that episode out, Gaming in the Wild, if you haven't heard it. That was a great discussion. It was like two and a half hours of really good games chat. Always a pleasure to be on that show. But John mentioned it, and it brought it back to my attention. And I'm like, you know, I did like what I saw of that game, and I want to get back to it. Uh, that reminded me that I was waiting for a console version. And sure enough, the console version was basically ready to go. So I got the code and popped it in and started playing. So what is Terra Nil? Terra Nil is a, it looks like a SimCity kind of a game where you've got like a mouse and cursor and you've got kind of the isometric kind of God's eye view sort of. Uh, basically, you start off on a planet that's been just like ruined to desolation, like I don't know exactly what happened, some kind of climate catastrophe or, you know, I don't know, humans driving too many cars or something like that. But everything's like dead and brown and dry and decayed and just gross and like nothing lives there. So you uh, and in fact, I'm not even sure who I am. I guess I'm just like interplanetary janitor or something like that. I guess I'm unclear on that. But regardless, the story is not the selling point here. Basically, you show up to this planet with a bunch of technology and your goal is to like restore life to the planet. How you do this is it, it kind of depends on each environment. I've only been through like one environment completely and it actually took a lot longer than I thought it would. But um, so the first one is like this kind of dry riverbeds, like clay, dusty, brown dirt area with nothing there. And so you land and all the dirt is like toxified with like, I don't know, whatever manufacturing leftovers or something. And so you have to plant like number one, like windmills, like you look for rocks to plant your windmills on and then those generate electricity. And there's a little field around each windmill where you can activate machinery by wires. It's only like a little limited circle around there. So you plant windmills wherever you can. And then you put your soil detoxification machinery. And that's got to be within range of the windmill. But you plop that down. And then a little circle around that thing appears, which is purified dirt. And then once you have the purified dirt, you can kind of... Uh, What's next? It's like you clean the water. There's a water cleaning machine or a water flowing machine that gets the water flowing again. And then once that happens, you set up uh, like, I don't know, like germination machines where you start planting like trees and some other stuff like that. And so it's like this like long step by step process where instead of taking nature and like putting concrete all over everything and skyscrapers and roads, you're taking all that stuff away. Like you're, you're re-naturifying it. And I think that's a really refreshing approach. It's really it feels good to do that, especially because we are faced with such real life catastrophe all around us right now with global warming and the number of problems that we're facing as a species in real life. So to do something like this, even in a video game format, even if it's not really affecting anything, just feels positive to do something that is different than the norm, to feel like we are somehow helping the earth or, or prioritizing nature again. So it starts off pretty simple. I will say, as I usually do, the tutorials are not great in this game. There are a number of steps and not everything is quite as intuitive as you might think it would be. I mean, for the most part, you can make sense of it, but sometimes there are certain requirements for certain things, or sometimes the, I don't know, the piece just isn't going the way you think it's going to go, or you're not quite sure why something isn't working. So I think the tutorials are a little bit vague, especially when you get into the later part of each uh, map, when there are like more little details to take care of. Um, but you keep, you know, cleaning the soil, getting the water flowing, 
um, you know, bringing the trees back, bringing the, the plants back. And then you get to the animal section and then you can uh, bring beehives back, which is something I wish we could do right now in real life because we clearly need more bees. Uh, you bring bees back, you bring flowers back, uh, you purify the water enough and like salmon come back. And then uh, the very final phase, well, the next to final phase is you bring uh, bigger animals back like uh, beavers and wolves and deer. And all of those things have a specific requirement before they come back. And that was kind of where I got tripped up the most. Um, this was my first time playing the game. So I bet it's probably easier once you know what you're doing or once you know what's coming. Uh, but going through it the first time was a little bit confusing because it would be like, okay, so we need to bring deer back and there must be some trees and there must be some forest or not forest, but a meadow. And those two things got to be side by side, which I mean, that is actually not too hard to do. But I wasn't thinking at all about that ahead of time. And so it just happened to be that there was a few forests next to a meadow. Um, that was no problem. But then it was like, okay, a beaver, you must have forest and it must be near a river. And so that was a bit harder because the rivers were just where they were. Each map is randomly generated, I believe. And so in my particular map, there were forests, but they were next to a swamp. Uh, there was no forest that was next to a river. And so I was like, fuck, how am I? OK, I guess I can't bring a beaver back. So which is weird because I have lived in a place which had beavers in real life and the beavers were OK with the swamp. But whatever. Um, so that got me kind of tripped up. And then if you couldn't bring the beaver back, that meant that you couldn't bring like the next thing, the animal in the food chain back. And I got kind of stuck for a while. I was trying to bring bears back and it was like must have trees on a hill plus a beehive plus forest or like whatever. There was like three or four requirements. And my randomly generated map didn't quite have the right thing. Or maybe I maybe I planted the trees in the wrong way or something. And so uh, without knowing that was coming, I just was doing whatever. And then I couldn't bring the bears back because I wasn't meeting the requirements. That was pretty frustrating, actually. And I wasn't quite sure of like how to rectify it. The only thing I could figure was to go back a little further down the tech tree to some of the machinery I had which you want to do things as naturally as possible, but you can go back to some of like, I don't know, like this really basic construction machinery and use it. But the game warns you, oh, if you use this machines, it's going to toxify the land. You're going to ruin the land again. And I'm like, well, fuck, I'm here to clean it. I don't want to ruin it, but I can't move forward because I don't have the right bear conditions. And so I need to do something. So I guess I'll have to poison a little bit of land in order to bring the bears back. I mean, whatever. So I did that. I used some like digging machinery that dug a trench and that brought a river and that changed the trees and so forth and so on. And then I finally figured out how to get all those conditions there. But I felt like that was pretty persnickety. That was really kind of annoying and um, difficult. And I didn't know what the conditions were ahead of time. If I had, I could have been like, okay, well, this is going to be bear territory and this will be frog territory and this will be beaver territory. And I could have done it ahead of time, but you didn't know that. And so I felt like I was kind of undoing some of my work later in the game or, you know, toxifying places that I had just cleaned up. And that was kind of a bummer, kind of kind of frustrating and the other frustrating part was well it's cool and frustrating was that once you get your map all done you get the animals back you don't have to bring them all back but you got to bring at least some back and then the game is like okay well you can't leave any trace behind we need to clean up all of our machinery like all the the windmills and the, the soil detoxifiers and the water the water pump machines we got to get it all out of here we can't leave it so you have to like send out these little drones to like de deconstruct and collect all the materials and then those materials will turn into an airship. So you're not leaving anything behind. By the time you leave the level, it looks totally like natural and organic. No leftover technology, no abandoned ships, no abandoned, you know, waste processing plant or anything like that. 
So that part was fun, but I felt like that wasn't really well tutorialized either. And I got stuck for a while because I just didn't understand what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I couldn't understand how the drone was supposed to move. And I was just like kind of, I was just really struggling with it. Luckily, my son, who had played this game before me on PC, was like, oh, just do this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So he had he had stumbled his way through it earlier and gotten much further in the game than I had. So luckily, I had my own little walking FAQ to draw from. And with his help, I got through it. Uh, but yeah, that part could have been a little bit clearer. But I think it was very satisfying once I brought the land back. I felt like I had, you know, created life from nothing. The land was green and lush and, and moist and wet where it used to be just dry and decayed and desert-like. And packing up all my gear and rebuilding this airship and moving on to the next section of the land was was pretty awesome. It was a pretty good feeling. I really like that a lot. It's a, a good, fun, familiar but but new a totally different spin on things. And I just, I really like the novelty of that. I also like the themes, of course. So as I said, I'm playing it on the Switch. What are the issues here? Well, the issues are, number one, you can adjust the UI size, which is great because I love accessibility. And I did uh, increase the size of the UI. But unfortunately, if you increase the size of the UI, it blocks a lot of the screen and it's hard to play. So I got kind of frustrated with that pretty quickly. I then made the UI as small as possible once I knew what the UI meant, like all the icons and symbols. Um, so that helped. Having the UI small helped. But if you do need a larger UI, it can be difficult. I do also feel that the camera is too zoomed in on the Switch. I don't know if it's that zoomed in on the PC. I'm guessing probably not, but I didn't have uh, my son's version on hand to compare. Uh, but I feel like it's constantly too close, where even at max zoomed out distance, I'm still like struggling. I want like a bigger wider view and i felt like it's just it's it's too close um also i talked talked about the tutorials being not great so heads up on that and i think the final thing to know is that this game it can chug at times like in the beginning of a level it's fine but then once you put more trees and more animals and you dig some more trenches and the water's flowing the switch really struggles with um having all that happen at the same time unfortunate because it doesn't feel like a very resource intensive game. I mean, it's not, it's not realistic graphics. It's all pretty abstracted and pixely. It's not uh, anything that's cutting edge by any means. It's not, you know, not photorealistic. So it's a little bit disappointing to see that it chugs so hard. Uh, once you get two levels that have more and more stuff in them, um, it, I'm not going to say that it got to the point that it was being a slideshow, but there were a few times when it, it, it came way down to just like single digit frames and it was not nearly as smooth, some delays. So I either the optimization is not great, which is probably the case, or the Switch is not uh, beefy enough to handle this, which seems kind of silly because I've seen what else it can do. So I would love to play this actually on like PS5 or on Xbox, where there's a lot more horsepower to make everything as smooth as silk, and maybe I can bring the camera further back. I think that possibly the developers are making some shortcuts and didn't quite get it optimized enough. Uh, for this particular platform, which is a shame because I think I would like to recommend this game to to most people. I think it's worth a play this year, uh, but this is not the version to play. It's playable. It's, you know, it's not terrible. I've played worse, but if you have the option to play on PC, definitely play it on PC. I think that'll be a better experience, and my fingers are crossed. It'll come to PlayStation or Xbox. I would happily jump in again there just to get a smoother experience, but overall, Terra Nil is pretty great stuff. I love the eco themes. I love the concept. I love the like reverse builder where it's kind of like you're just, you know, you build a little bit, but really you're kind of deconstructing humanity and like restoring nature, which is a pretty beautiful thing. So overall, I really like this one a lot. Definitely recommend, definitely check it out. 
but check it out on PC if you can, and fingers crossed for a console version. All right, next up is something I've been meaning to get to for a while, but I just uh, couldn't get to it for a couple of reasons. Um, I guess the biggest reason uh, is because I was having problems getting the code to actually work. Uh, the game is called Long Gone Days. I saw it a while ago, and I'm like, oh, that looks really interesting. It, I wasn't quite sure exactly what it was. It looked like a visual novel, but it looked like there was also some combat and also some choices, and I was kind of curious about the subject matter. Um, I don't want to spoil anything because this is a pretty uh, brief experience. But basically, you play as a person who is a military sniper. And I'm, I'm intentionally leaving a few things out here. Um, but you're a military sniper in part of a covert unit. And you go out on some missions. But basically, uh, without revealing anything too much, it turns out that your mission isn't what you thought it was, and then you have to deal with the ramifications of your actions and your place in the world as this military sniper. So definitely not your usual fare. Um, this is a narrative, story-based experience. Um, I thought it was a visual novel, but it's actually more of an RPG, which I think is okay. Uh, but full disclosure, as anyone who listens to this podcast knows, I'm not super keen on like JRPG-style games these days. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just like for me personally, it's not my 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 vibe lately. And I didn't quite know that's what this was, but it is. Um, but it's it's not a bad one, though. I think um, it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. You play from a 2D perspective, kind of a side view perspective-ish, or like a, you know, like a Zelda 16-bit perspective, sort of, where you walk around your military base as a sniper, talk to people, uh, you know, buy equipment or whatever. It's pretty, pretty straightforward, pretty quick. But then you go out on these missions. And when you go there, you are moving to locations, you'll go to like a village or, you know, uh, I don't know, some kind of ruined buildings or something, you take position. And then you'll go into like the sniper mode. And it's pretty, I mean, we're not like, this is not realistic shooting or anything like that. It'll go into like a first person mode where you're looking down the scope. And you'll see people like enemy soldiers or whatever walking around and you have to uh, take them out like one of your compatriots will send you a text message and they'll be like oh you know three people on on the east and you go you move your scope over there and pop them and it's pretty it's pretty just like rudimentary but i think it's effective for this kind of game like i wouldn't want like realistic sniper action where you're you know uh compensating for like wind push and bullet drop and stuff like that like that would not be welcome in an experience like this um but i think it's just enough to kind of break up the rpg and to get you doing some stuff and it also feels like it gets you more involved because you the player are the one who's pulling the trigger and killing these people and so when story events happen that kind of like recontextualize everything you know it feels like not like it was you you but it kind of feels like it was you and so you have a little bit more buy-in on what's going on i will say the writing is pretty good I think the subject matter is really interesting. Um, I'm definitely leaving some stuff out that I don't want to ruin that I think is really uh, part of the discovery of this game. And I I think this one should be on more people's radar. It's really unusual, really different. And uh, I like what it's doing. Um, so so why do I not love it? I mean, number one, uh, just me. Personally, I'm not in the JRPG zone right now. And even though this game is pretty light duty, it's you know very contained, very small, very linear, which I appreciate very much. Um, I just get irritated at having to talk to everybody in a location. Like, it's just a pet peeve of mine, personally. This is not really a, a criticism or anything. But, like, I don't like walking into a village, seeing 11 people, and then I have to walk up to each person and, like, press X and talk to them. And sometimes it's, like, 
you know, nothing, just like filler dialogue. Sometimes it's a quest. Sometimes it's something important. Sometimes it's a clue. Sometimes it's nothing. And I just, I just don't like doing that. Um, it's just personally really irritating to me. And I realize that's my idiosyncrasy and I, you know, I, I'm not trying to justify it or anything. I'm just being very honest because I know that about myself. Um, so I don't like that aspect of it. Um, also, I don't like when someone says, go here or go, you know, go to this place and you don't quite know where that place is. That's also really irritating to me. It's not a big problem here because like I said, it's pretty linear. It's pretty small. Uh, it's not like open world by any stretch of the imagination, but even a little bit of that kind of gets on my nerves because I'm just like an old persickety guy these days and I just don't like that thing. Um, but other than that, I don't really have any complaints about it and those aren't even really complaints. Those are just my personal quirks. I think uh, Long Gone Days is really interesting. I was very curious to see where it went. I had to put on pause to take care of some other games from the podcast and for next week. Uh, but I think it's it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, the subject matter alone and the story alone really kind of make you think and really kind of pose questions that we don't see too often in games these days. And I think that is definitely worth something. So definitely check it out. If anything I've said has sounded interesting at all, I think it's worth a look-see. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is a value price game. I want to say it was like under $20. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't quote me on that, but I remember it being like on the lower side, which I think is a, a great price point for something that's like experimental for people to come check out. So again, long gone days, uh, definitely check it out. Definitely a thumbs up, even though I am kind of annoyed with the RPG parts, but again, that's me. I do think there's a lot here for people to like, and I think that it is, um, a pretty, pretty interesting effort, honestly, pretty interesting stuff. All right, uh, last game of the show here, and I realize I'm going pretty quickly, and this is going to be probably one of our shortest shows ever. I apologize for that, but I promise we'll make up for it next week with the Game of the Year show. Uh, last game of the show here, Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader. Uh, I've known this one was coming for a while, and I got to say the timing for me was good because I feel like I need to play a 40k game like at least once every six months just to kind of check that box. And it's been a while. Um, I haven't played it. I mean, I can't even remember the last 40K game I played. Probably Battle Sector on Xbox, Xbox, which admittedly was fantastic and I loved it. Um, but it's been a while and I was like, man, I could really go for like, a you know, something 40K. I just, uh, I don't play the tabletop at all. I don't play the RPG, you know, pen and paper or the miniatures or anything like that. But I just like the aesthetics of it. Like this like weird kind of like christo fascist weird future sci-fi uh quasi-religious but also incredibly brutal kind of inquisition type stuff i think that's really interesting um a lot of interesting commentary in the visual design and also in the kind of like semi-absurdist way that the whole universe of 40k works um you know talking about like machine spirits and the, the emperor who's like a god but he's like a person and everybody is like so eager to tear people apart if they think they're heretics. Uh, it's just a really interesting, really fascinating kind of setting um, for me. I, I just like the 40K stuff. And so I was quite curious to see what they were going to do with Warhammer 40K Rogue Trader. This was supposed to be an RPG, and that's basically all I knew about it. I didn't do a lot of research. I kind of wanted to come to it cold and give it just like my most open-minded benefit of the doubt. And I thought, based on the title, Rogue Trader, I thought it was going to be more of like an economic sim, like like you would be shuttling stuff back and forth. You know, maybe the space marines would need more armor and they would need more chainswords. And then you would be bringing medicine to heal people who were attacked by the Xenos or whatever. You know, I thought that maybe that would be the game, more of a, a sim thing. 
But I was actually quite incorrect. It is actually a CRPG, computer RPG, or PC RPG, if you wish. Uh, very similar to something along the lines of like a Baldur's Gate 3. And I wasn't expecting that. Uh, as soon as I jumped in, I was like, oh, oh, okay. This is much bigger and much deeper and more complicated than I was expecting it to be. But I think that's that's pretty cool. Uh, I'm just, just full disclosure, like spoilers. Um, I think this game is actually pretty awesome. Uh, I think it's really good. Uh, not only from a 40K fan perspective, but also just from uh, an RPG perspective as well. Uh, I'll go into this really quickly, but I do want to say up front that I did get a code for this one from the uh, publishers. I got a code for Terra Nil as well. I forgot to mention that. Uh, every game on the show today, we got a code for. So thank you to all those publishers. Full disclosure. So Rogue Trader is basically an isometric uh, PC turn-based tactics, but also loads of story, loads of characterization, loads of writing. Uh, the basic premise is and this is, this is kind of new to me because I don't know a lot about, like the only thing I know about 40K is from what I've seen in video games. Like I don't read the books or the supplementals or, you know, I don't know anything about like, you know, the history behind the miniatures or anything. Just whatever I've seen in games is what I know about 40K, which I get makes me like a dilettante, but you know, whatever. I don't want to like delve into something that's way deeper than I want to get into. So uh, two games a year is, is, is good speed for me. So anyway, talking about the Rogue Trader itself, I didn't even know what that term meant, um, but the game goes into great detail about explaining that whole concept. Basically, rogue traders are people who serve the empire, uh, but they have a lot of power and a lot of, uh, you know, ability to 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 do things that they wish. They have a lot of autonomy, uh, so they take these giant ships, void ships, and they go out to the furthest edges of the galaxy. And they explore new territory and kind of like help the empire expand. They're the people who are on the front lines, who are meeting people on the furthest out planets, um, discovering what's out there, kind of making treaties, bartering, and then kind of like paving the way for the uh, imperial forces to come out there and kind of colonize. So that's what a rogue trader does. Uh, your particular role in the game, you get to create your character. Uh, there are, I think, three presets uh, with name, portrait, abilities, all that stuff. Or you can make your own and you can do a male or female, whichever you like. I went with a custom female character just because. And I think I'm pretty happy with that so far. Basically, you are the one of the blood descendants of the current rogue trader. Now, again, it's kind of hard to explain, but like in this game, rogue traders are like the kings of whatever they survey, like like the emperor is above them. But when you're out in the uh, the fringe of the galaxy or whatever, like the rogue trader is basically like the biggest, the biggest hot shot on the block. Like they're the they're the person that everybody bows down to. They're the person that has the most power, the most sway, the most say so out there. So you're like like the biggest dog. But you were not the rogue trader at first. Uh, the the current rogue trader has called you and one other person in because you are blood relations, and the current rogue trader is this powerful lady. And she wants to see if either one of you are fit to take up the mantle. And if not, then she's going to put you in the role of like a lieutenant or something. So the story kicks off pretty well. They explain what's going on. But then pretty quickly, uh, you you get you move to the, the void ship. And to set the scene for this, the void ships are these giant, huge spaceships that are like the size of like a city or like even bigger than a city, like thousands and thousands of people on the ship. And like each deck is like its own kind of like world where like, the lower people who are just like the grunts and the coal shovelers and the, the you know, the, 
the people who are like very low cast are like the bottom of the ship and the captain and stuff is at the top. And it's like, it's like this whole kind of like cross section of like society carried into space on the ship. And they're just like these monstrous affairs. And so you go to your void ship and pretty quickly it turns out that uh, the current rogue trader has been betrayed. One of her lieutenants has sold out and they want to kill her and take over and all sorts of nefarious stuff. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the details, but basically they kill her pretty quickly. And so it's down to you and the other person to see who takes over. Uh, I am pretty sure like 99% sure you're going to be taking over uh, in every case, because if you weren't taking over, I'm not even sure what the game would be. So basically you take over, you ascend to the rogue trader throne. And then you are like this new fish out of water, wet behind the ears person who doesn't really quite know what's going on. And you are just now quickly becoming the most powerful person in the galaxy. Uh, you've got a crew of people who serve you at, at first. It's like a crew of four. You've got your, your number one assistant. Who's kind of like a, like a soldier dude. You've got a hyper religious, like uh, space Marine lady. I think she's like one of the sororitas people. Uh, so she's like really tough. She's got guns and she's like very, very like dogmatic, you know, praise to be to the emperor. Um, you've got a, a psyker, which is kind of like a psychic power user. They are kind of frowned upon by the empire, but they are necessary for certain things. And so she joins her group. She's kind of like, I don't know, neutral evil or something where she's kind of like this free agent. Uh, there's a couple other people that can join your team. So you kind of like, uh, take control of the ship and then you very quickly have to like, number one, take care of the ship itself, uh, which is interesting because the ship is so large. It kind of functions like the Normandy and mass effect where it's your hub and it's your home base, but it's also this giant fucking like city that's sailing through space. And so very often people will come up from the lower decks and have a problem. It's almost like you're, you're like ruling your own mobile kingdom. And so like one of the most interesting things that happened so far was there was like this revolt, like 17 floors down or something. And it turns out that the security down there were being assholes and they were stomping all over these people. And so you had to go down and you could solve it like a number of ways. Right. And that's one of the interesting things about this is that Warhammer 40 K is not known for its softer side. Like it's always about, you know, praise the emperor, kill the heretics kill anybody who looks at us sideways, you know, brutality all over the place, guns and axes and blood. And it's not, it's not about like feelings. It's not about respect really. And so when you take over as the rogue trader, you've got like all of these different options. You've got like tons of options ahead of you. And in each situation you can handle it in many ways. You can be very dogmatic, which is like, yes, the emperor is the all powerful God. I serve him and whatever he says goes. And I am his, his servant. You can um, be more chaotic and you can almost serve the void, which is like, uh, or the warp, which is like the opposite of the emperor. It's like these weird demonic spirits in a different dimension who try to corrupt humanity and you can be more void and you can, you can do like mean things, or you can be more of an iconoclast, which is like, you know, I, I'm not an evil person, but I want to do things my own way. Uh, maybe that breaks the rules, but also I'm going to do it in a way that makes sense and is respectful. Uh, or there might be other ways as well. And so like in every situation, it's kind of impressive because you can really act like a person who is very sensitive and listen to your people, which is very, very unusual for 40K. Or you can be a complete fucking asshole and like you can kill people left and right. I mean, someone comes to your problem and you can be like, yes, please tell me your problem. Or you can be like, oh, bullet your head, don't care and kill them. Um, both of those things are viable paths. It's fucking wild, you know, but it's very thematically appropriate, especially with the 40K universe where 
that fits. Like people are kind of like fascists and people are kind of like power crazy. And it's about this strict hierarchy. And, you know, like it makes sense in the context of the IP. So you can be that way if you want to. And like certain people in your crew will like you for it. Like your number one guy who serves you, he wants you to be like more of a fascist and your your battle nun or whatever she's called, the sororitas person, like she wants you to be like as dogmatic as possible. But then the other part of your crew will be like, ah, oh, man, you're like a straight edge. I don't like that so much. We want you to be more human or we want you to be more freewheeling. So you kind of have to like play a balance between your crew members or maybe you don't like you can actually dismiss people. And just have them fucking leave your crew. Like, you don't need to have them with you. You can also create other characters as well. So if you don't like, you know, your psyker who's kind of like freewheeling chaos person, you're like, nah, I don't want you. I want like a straight-laced, um, you know, warm, uh, you know, space marine or something. You can get rid of her. Just fucking get rid of her. And the game even tells you, yeah, you can get rid of anybody you want to. You're going to lose out on the story beats for sure because you can't have a story with that character if you kick them off your ship or if you kill them. But you can freedom you can absolutely do that and you can recruit new people who will be just as important they will not they will be like you know your crew your your mates that go with you on each mission you can make them however you want you can create whatever class you want you're the void trader you can order people in and get whatever you want but they're not going to have the same story so i appreciated that freedom again where if you don't like to hear people saying that you know they're criticizing you for what you're doing or people thinking you're being too harsh or people thinking you're too soft or whatever you can totally have the discretion to do whatever you wish and the game lets you do that, which I think is wonderful. I'm keeping the stock crew. I'm finding the choices between them all pretty interesting. And as a 40K fan, it's great to be able to talk to some of these people to get their perspective on things. Now, for example, one of the most interesting uh, tidbits that I picked up on was uh, these void ships use dimensional travel to get places. And when they go into the void, that's where like all the demons live. And so lots of really bad things can happen when you go into the void. And so they depend on these mutant navigators to kind of help them find their way safely through. So I knew about this for a long time, but like, that's basically all I knew about it. It was like, okay, we go in this demon dimension. We take a shortcut. The navigator gets us there. Cool. End of story. I mean, interesting enough, but like, that's all I knew. But in this game, one of your teammates can become a navigator or you can find the navigator. And if you talk to them, uh, the one that I'm talking to is I think the one that's been featured in some of the trailers. And it's really interesting to hear how she grew up and how she was kept away from other humans and how her power manifests like the the human brain's interpretation of the warp space is different for each navigator and so she's like well i see it as a painting because i like to paint and so when i'm in the warp everything looks like a canvas to me and i see colors and that's how i navigate but the person who taught me was somebody who liked nature and so when he went in the warp it looked like a forest to him and i'm like wow that's really fascinating and i've never gotten that kind of richness of detail from 40k before like in any of the properties it's usually just about you know turn-based tactics bigger guns bigger blades and killing and more armor which is fine i like it for what it is uh, but i think it's really 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 juicy and really um ah, just so curious and, and interesting to get the the human side of 40k like you know these stories where people expect you to be this dominating asshole and when you take a minute to be like no i really want to hear how you feel or or please tell me your thoughts and you're not going to put a bullet in their head right away. Their reaction in the game is like of shock, right? Which makes sense because that's not usually how it plays out. So I really enjoy being kind of the iconoclast. I think is what they call it where you, where you talk to a person and they're ready for you to like have you instantly kill them, but instead you hear them out and you're not bringing in the shock troopers. You're bringing in an open hand for a handshake and you want to know how to make their situation better instead of just killing them and replacing them with, with new people you can do that. And and to see them respond to you in the appropriate way, 
not just like in the traditional like RPG villager way, but like as people who know what's up in the 40k universe, they know that very likely they're going to get a bullet for the trouble, but instead you can change that. And I just think that's really awesome that they went that way, that they let you do that and and that it it all kind of comes together in the way that it would normally go in accordance with the IP. So I think it's really cool. I also like the combat. It's turn-based tactics uh, where each person has kind of a straightforward move, then attack. Uh, but there's also some special abilities per class, as you would imagine. Some people have psychic stuff. Some people have tech stuff. Some people are combat stuff. Um, you know, it's nothing to like really like write home about. I mean, it, it gets the job done, certainly. I think it's well done. I'm enjoying it. Uh, but it's really, for me, all about like the story and about seeing Warhammer 40k from a different perspective. Um, I don't think that I would play this game for the tactics themselves. Um, if this was just like some random RPG and it was this kind of combat, I would be like, cool, but I would bounce. Uh, but I think for me, it's all about the IP, about the story, about the new approach to the material. It's really fascinating to me. And I and the combat's fine. Like, I don't I don't dislike it. I think it's fine, uh, but it's not the draw. I just want to be really clear about that. So I think it's a great story so far. There's been lots of cool surprises, lots of random story events pop up, lots of people to meet, lots of tons and tons and tons of dialogue choices. Um, it's just been really, really fascinating. And I haven't played Baldur's Gate, but I have seen a little bit of it. And I think Rogue Trader is kind of on the same in the same bucket as Baldur's Gate. Of course, not as slick, not as many bells and whistles, not as not as new and fresh and minty. But I think it's the same thing. And if you like that idea, but in the Warhammer world, I think this is something definitely to look into. So uh, just a couple things to know. Um, I think there's definitely a learning curve that's pretty crazy. This is obviously designed with a mouse and keyboard in mind. So I think it works just fine on controller, but there's lots of menus, lots of places where I feel like it's a little bit kludgy. Sometimes I'm trying to get my cursor over to one place and I'm not quite sure how to get it there. Um, there's also like lots of information. Um, there's a helpful glossary. You can push a button and it tells you what words mean. But even with that in there, there's still like a lot to learn and there's lots of skills and lots of abilities and lots of gear. And to be perfectly frank, I would be fine if they just scaled back on that. I think uh, a less is more approach would serve this game a little bit better if they focused more on the story and leaned into that because I think that's really the strongest asset. If they kind of just, you know, don't have 92,000 pieces of armor and don't have 85,000 skills, just, you know, pull back a little bit, just make it a little bit easier, focus on what you guys are doing well, which I think is the story and characters in the world and the adaptation. So just be be prepared for that. Uh, I'm definitely like looking up FAQs once in a while about, okay, which button is what and how do I do this thing? But for the most part, I think it's going along just well, uh, pretty well. I think it's fine. Very deep, lots of stuff to dig into. Uh, I will say there's also a lot of reading. Um, that's not a pro or a con, uh, but this game is fully voiced. I will say I turn the voices off because I read faster than they can talk. And I found it irritating to listen to the voices while also trying to read the text. So I turned the voices off. Um, maybe that's not a good choice for everybody, but it was a good choice for me. But there is loads of really good voice acting in this game. Uh, so I think that's got it going for it as well. But if you turn those voices off, there's a lot of reading to do. I mean, like a pretty significant amount of reading. So just be prepared for that. Um, there's not a lot of animated cutscenes. There's not a lot of cutscenes in general. Uh, but there is a lot of really great text, really great writing, a lot of good scene setting. And in a lot of the dialogue, they will also cue you into how the person is feeling. They'll say something like, oh, so-and-so rolled their eyes and looks frustrated, or so-and-so's voice is really tense, like they're angry about something. So they kind of give you a lot of context that doesn't have to come strictly from a person's performance. So I appreciate that very much, and I, I'm totally fine reading. I think the writing is quite good, and I'm, I'm in on that. But be prepared. There's a lot of reading to do. Uh, the final thing that I want to say 
is that this is a straight up criticism. Probably my only outright criticism of this game is that the map fucking sucks shit so bad. I fucking hate the map. Um, there's no way to rotate the map. You have to go to a map screen to look at the map. The map is only displayed one way, regardless of how your character is facing. So the map will always have north and north and south and south, but you can rotate the camera yourself. And so if I'm looking south, I want the map to also be looking south, uh, but it doesn't work like that. It's very confusing. It's hard to orient. There's no mini map on the screen when you're walking around, which is a shame. I wish there was a mini map, but there's not. So I hate the map. I totally hate the map. I think there's been... 10,000 different maps that work better than this one. And I I am constantly irritated by the map. I do not like the map. If the developer's listening, please fix this, fuck, fix this fucking map. Like this map is a joke. It's, it's really bad. So I wish that would be fixed. But that's really my only complaint. Otherwise, I think this game is fucking great, dude. I'm, I'm loving this new interpretation of Warhammer 40K. I'm loving being in the world. I love being on the void ship and like traveling between worlds. Like there's a part where you like just fly between planets. You get to choose where you want to go. Again, somewhat reminiscent of like Mass Effect in some ways uh, or like an isometric 40K Mass Effect. I mean, if that sounds great to you, that's exactly what this is. And that to me sounds great. I'm really just digging my time with it. So it seems like a long play. Uh, I've put a number of hours into it, at least 10 hours so far. And I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of it. Uh, lots of story beats to get through, lots of events to get through. I'm still trying to repair my ship. I'm still like visiting different planets to meet people and stuff. It's a fucking big ass game. And I'm just, I'm, I'm okay with that though. This feels like appropriate and it feels like really, really meaty and juicy and, and rich. And I'm, I'm just want to get more of this. So if you like 40 K you, you kind of got to play this one. I think this is probably one of the best ones. Uh, games workshop is batting about 50, 50 when it comes to games adaptations, but this one is a fucking winner. This one is the good shit. So definitely check this out. If anything I've said sounds interesting, if you like 40 K, if you've played any 40 K games, if you play the tabletop or anything, or if you like Baldur's gate, like this is, this is good shit. This is another good one to come out. And honestly, I wish it had come out like next year because I feel like it's getting kind of forgotten in all the hubbub. And certainly, um, you know, is getting forgotten when held up next to Baldur's gate three. But I think this one is absolutely worth a go. I think this is the good shit and I'm just, I'm loving it. I'm having a great time. So definitely a thumbs up and absolutely a check it out for sure. Whew. All right. That is it for the main portion of the show. Those are the games I'm going to cover today. I know it's a shorter show than usual, but uh, we're just going to make do. That's what we got. This is the portion now where we usually mention non-game stuff like TV or movies. Um, I don't have a lot on my plate this week other than the fact that I'm trying to finish Disenchantment Season 5. Got like four episodes of that left to go watching on a Netflix. I really enjoy that show a lot. And I'm very curious to see how that wraps up this season. I don't know if there's a Season 6. I'm not sure about that. This may be the end of the show. I am not positive. Anyway, Disenchantment is great. Also... The only other thing I've really had time for is I'm watching Star Trek The Next Generation with my family. It's my son's first time watching it. So we started it's episode one, season one, and we're making our way through. And we're in season two right now. And I don't remember Dr. Crusher being kicked off the show. We did a little bit of, you know, wiki diving um, because we were surprised by that. And it turns out they there was some drama behind the scenes. One of the writers was apparently this really conservative asshole guy, which makes me wonder what he was even doing on the show. Uh, but he hated Dr. Crusher, the uh, actress. I forget her name was Gates McFadden. I think her name was. I guess they didn't get along. He kept writing her in sexist ways that she didn't want to stand for. So she got kicked off the show. They brought in uh, Diana Moldauer, who plays Dr. Pulaski. 
And Dr. Pulaski sucks ass. Like, I'm sure that the actress is fine and I'm sure she's a nice person, but she's basically like a space racist. She's really bigoted. She's really close minded. And I'm guessing she's a mouthpiece for this, like, really conservative asshole who was on the writing show or writing crew. Uh, not a fan. Not a fan at all. And as we're watching season two, there's definitely a few moments where I'm like, dude, that was dick or like, you know, weird responses to other aliens. There's a few episodes where. Jordy is like really judgmental about Worf's culture. And there's a few other places where I'm like, what is going on? Like, why is it, why is it feel so weird? And I have to imagine that it's a conservative guys, uh, his issues. Fortunately, uh, according to the wiki, he got kicked off the show after season two. Uh, Dr. Pulaski left. They brought back Dr. Crusher and things got better. I think they replaced him with uh, a more, a more liberal, more open-minded person that wasn't quite as sexist and narrow-minded. So I'm glad to look forward to that. Uh, but that was kind of a weird thing to go through. It's uh, interesting to revisit the show after all these years and see the growing pains that w- that it went through. I mean, all I really remember from it is like, you know, Picard saying make it so and Data doing his Data stuff and Worf punching dudes or whatever. But to see how the show got its start and then it went through this rough patch and then it went through these ups and downs, pretty, pretty curious. It's been a fun rewatch. But anyway... That's all I've got this week, and this is going to do it for the show. Before we close, I want to ask you to please leave reviews, share us on social media, and most important of all, recommend us to your friends. Also, if you'd like to support the show and help us out with the cost of running the podcast, you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash the so video games podcast. Uh, again, uh, we'll take anything, but if you kick in at five bucks, we'll let you uh, join us on the discord, which we would love to see you there. And as always, we do want your questions and your comments. Hit us up at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. Also send us in your top three of 2023 and your one disappointment. And I think that's going to do it for the show. As for me, uh, you can contact me uh, on Twitter, Blue Sky, uh, Instagram. I think those are the three likely suspects right now. My name is the same on all those platforms. It's B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. And this is going to do it for episode 368. Thank you once again for joining me here on the Soviet Games Podcast. And we'll see you next week for our 2023 Games of the Year Wrap-Up Extravaganza. See you there.